0: by night behold that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born, and brought us God's salvation that blessed Christmas morn.
1: You may be seated.
2: Those of you who have been with us for the past Sundays of Advent know that I've been preaching a series entitled "The Coming," and tonight uh, our the emphasis is on the coming of salvation, Jesus. Our salvation. I think you probably realize that the scriptures that Paul read before he lit the Christ candles all had to do with the second advent of Jesus, his coming again. And as we ended our service this morning, I spoke about the fact that if Jesus is your salvation, you will anticipate the second coming of Jesus with joy. So we want to focus tonight on Jesus, our salvation. As you read the the story of Christ's coming in Luke chapter 2, the angels come to the shepherds and tell them, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10 it tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In John 12:47, we read, "As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it." That is Jesus speaking. And then in First Timothy chapter one, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, "Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance." Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So, why do we need a Savior? Well, perhaps your life is great in comparison to the life of some others that you might know. On the surface, everything is as good as it can get. Maybe you really do have it all together, and you're the every, envy of everyone who knows you. You may be well respected a model of what can be accomplished when one plays by the rules and works hard to achieve success in life. But I wonder, what's your life like when the lights go out, when you're by yourself? Are you ever afraid of failing? Do you ever question what the future is all about? Whether you are ready to meet any obstacle that may present itself along the way? Have you ever wondered about what will become of you when this life is over? Is it the end or is there life after death? If this is not the end, are you certain about the outcome of your life and the life to come? If you have any of these questions or kinds of concerns, there's an answer for you. There's a Savior. You need one who can give you hope and certainty to face the hopeless and uncertain world that we live in. You need one to save you from these fears and give you courage to move ahead rather than becoming paralyzed by the fear of the unknown. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. How many times do we read that in the scripture? It was the first phrase spoken by the angels in every visitation we read about as part of a Christmas story. The perfect love that is in Christ has come to cast out all fear. Why do we need a Savior? Well, every one of us has a root of sinfulness that, within us that keeps us from doing the right thing all the time. We have all sinned. The scripture tells us that. Not only are we prevented from doing the right thing all of the time, but our sinfulness predisposes us to continue to be sinful. It is our nature to do the wrong thing. Paul gives his own personal testimony of struggling with the power of sin in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 where he writes, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Our sinful nature keeps us from doing the right thing all the time and even encourages us to do the wrong thing. God's standard is absolute righteousness. None of us is righteous. Therefore, we all need a Savior. Luke, excuse me, Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we cannot save ourselves. See, when we talk about a Savior, we need to understand that. The Bible only reveals that we are all guilty of sin, not only reveals that we're all guilty of sin, but it also tells us there's nothing that we can do in our own power to get rid of our sinfulness. We cannot save ourselves. It's the greatest problem we face. No matter how much we wish to change, or how hard we try to extricate that root of sin from our lives, We find that we are powerless to break its grip over us. This inability to save ourselves from the domination of sin is what the Bible refers to as being dead in our sins. Paul Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. <clears throat> in our natural state, we are lifeless, Helpless, hopeless beings at the mercies of sin's desires. We cannot remedy our condition. We need a Savior. But God provided a costly solution. See, God understood our plight and was ready with a solution. In the Garden of Eden, we have the first indication that He was going to intervene on our behalf so that our sins could be removed. Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity, he's speaking now to Satan, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He, speaking of Jesus, will crush your head, speaking of Satan, and you will strike his heel. And then in Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and and will call him Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, she, speaking of Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the only solution. No other sacrifice would do. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A striking Christmas card was once published with the title, If Christ Had Not Come. The card depicted a pastor falling into a short sleep in his study on Christmas morning and dreaming of a world into which Jesus had never come. In his dream, he found himself looking through his home, but there were no little stockings in the chimney corner, no Christmas bells or wreaths of holly, and no Christ to comfort, gladden, and save He walked out to the street, but there was no church with its spire pointing to heaven. He came back and sat down in his library, but every book about the Savior had disappeared. (coughs) The doorbell rang, and a boy asked the preacher to visit his poor dying mother. He hastened with the weeping child, and as he reached the home, he sat down and said, I have something here that will comfort you. He opened his Bible to look for a familiar passage, but it ended with the book of Malachi. There was no gospel and no promise of hope and salvation, and he could only bow his head and weep with her in bitter despair. Two days later, he stood beside her coffin and conducted the funeral service. There was no message of consolation, no hope of heaven. Of course, that's only a writer's idea of what life would be like if Jesus had not come. The blessed reality is that Jesus has come, and that he is the Savior of all who will accept him as Savior. He entered history as a little baby to save us from the ravages of sin. And because he came, new life can be ours for the asking. Christ, our Savior. What a glorious truth. Would those who will be serving the elements of communion please come forward at this time. And gentlemen, as soon as you're ready you can go ahead and begin distributing the elements. (coughs) Please hold the, the elements and we will partake together. Christmas is really only the beginning of the story. Even at Bethlehem's manger, there loomed the shadow of the cross. In Christ's birth, we see the fulfillment of Abraham's prophetic words as found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb. We know that all who are born will eventually die. But Jesus was the only person ever born whose mission was to die. As God's unblemished, sacrificial lamb, Jesus' blood would be shed to atone for our sins, to pay the price of redemption that could be bought no other way, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse us, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. The road to Calvary began in Bethlehem. You see, the, the incarnation event was not as much about a baby in a manger as it was about a place of execution called Golgotha. Bethlehem was Emmanuel's first step in a 33-year journey that would lead to the cross. And this evening, as we remember Christ's birth, we also remember his death and what in dying Jesus did for us. There's a song called Ring the Bells. Um, I'm not sure that we haven't sung it this Christmas season. But it goes like this. Ring the bells, ring the bells, let the whole world know. Christ was born in Bethlehem many years ago. Born to die that man might live, came to earth new life to give. Born of Mary, born so low, many years ago. God the Father gave His Son, gave His own Beloved One to this wicked, sinful earth to bring mankind His love, new birth. Ring the bells, ring the bells, let the whole world know Christ the Savior lives today as He did so long ago. Lying in a manger in that stable, was the first Christmas gift ever given. Over the next 33 years, much would happen, so much, in fact, that the Apostle John would write, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. It was all those things that led From the stable of Christ's birth to the table on which the Last Supper was served just before his sacrificial death. As we approach the Lord's table this evening, let's give thanks for the stable where it all started, for Christ's sinless life, for his body and blood sacrificed for us. He who was born to die did not stop there. He died that we might live, and he rose to make it possible. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, O glorious day. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. He suffered in his body that wheat might be forgiven. Take, eat, and be thankful. <coughs> the cup represents the blood of Christ shed for you that you might know forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Take, drink, and be thankful. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we know that you are aware from the earliest days of your life, that you had come to do the Father's will. And the, the Scripture really does not give us insight into when you understood that you would hang on a cross and shed your blood and have your body broken, that our sins might be forgiven. But even when you became aware, it said you, it said you set your face like flint To fulfill the mission that God had given you, that your Father had given you, to lay down your life as a sacrifice for my sins, for our sins. And I thank you, Jesus, that you came and that you laid down your life and that you took it up again. We rejoice tonight in the fact that you are a risen Savior and the promise that you will come again someday to take with you all those who have received you as their Savior. We rejoice in this season of Advent and now as we will celebrate Christmas in our own homes. Father, we pray that you would come in the person of your Holy Spirit and that those would be blessed times as families as we lift up the name of Jesus and celebrate his coming. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you did love the world so much that you sent your only begotten Son. And may we, in our own lives, be willing to go and share that good news with others, a world that is still dark, a world that is still broken, to reach people who are still hurting with the good news of the Gospel and the promise of eternal life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, In just a moment, uh, Julie's going to come and sing a song. It's actually uh, Swedish um, and was translated by Evie Tornquist. I don't know how many of you know who she was. Um, Years ago, uh, we had records in our home of Evie singing. Um, It's called uh, We Light a Thousand Candles. And before Julie comes and sings, I want to share this with you. Um, In Matthew 4.16, it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And in John 8.12, Jesus tells us who that light is. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And then we are told that we have a responsibility as well. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to be light in a dark world. And so as Julie sings, we are going to share the light tonight, uh, symbolic of what Christ has called us to do in the world where we live. So I'll I'll light my candle from the Christ candle. I'll pass it to you, Gail. I'll pass it to you, Jan. And then let's pass it on through uh, down the rows as we share the light with one another this evening.
1: Around the earth today. And all the beams. Will shine across. The heavens grand display. Yes over land and sea tonight. The joyful message. Brings the birth of Him, our Lord and Christ, our Savior and our King. Dear brightest star, or Bethlehem, O oh, let your precious light. Shine in with hope and peace toward men in every home tonight. In all our house so cold and dark, please send your warmth sublime. The This blessed Christmas time. This blessed... We'll wait just a minute. Do you want to turn these down, these lights up here now? Thanks. Let's go ahead and stand and sing Silent Night.
2: As we go from this place tonight, let me leave you with this Christmas benediction. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the magi, and the peace of the Christ child. May the love of the Father fill your hearts as you celebrate the birth of his Son. Amen. And Merry Christmas. And let me give some instructions now, like what do we do with these candles? Uh, Please, when you blow them out, be careful so Dean doesn't have to clean up wax that's gone everywhere. And once you've extinguished them, there's a box um, on the left, on a table as you leave, where you can leave the candles and there's a place for the whole